Welcome to Talk Time with Max Contact, the podcast where we talk about the latest contact center and customer experience, industry news, and insights. Join us as we welcome industry experts, discuss actionable strategies you can apply to your business, and help professionals like you on your path to long-term career progression and success. I'm your host, Sean McIver. Welcome to another episode of Talk Time with Max Contact. I'm Sean McIver, your host. For this episode, we welcome seasoned customer experience expert, Ian Golding. Ian is a global customer experience specialist and a certified customer experience professional. He's worked across multiple industries, including retail, financial services, logistics, telecom, and pharmaceuticals, and has deployed customer experience tools and methodologies in over 55 countries around the world. In addition, he's also an author, an internationally renowned speaker, and blogger on the subject of customer experience. Wow, Ian, you have done quite a lot. I have no doubt I have missed things there. No, well, I think you've done a good job, Sean, but your explanation marries quite nicely with the word seasoned, which sort of makes me just sound old. You've summed it up extremely well. The, The only other thing I would add to what you've said is I'm very passionate about two things related to customer experience. The first is sharing knowledge in the subject, which I like to do a lot of. And the other is helping organizations understand how to operationalize the knowledge, as I like to call it. So I think this is a subject that I describe as a science. Organizations at the moment don't necessarily understand the science as well as they could or should. And failing to understand the science means that you don't really know how to operationalize it. So I will keep doing both of those things for as long as my body and mind will allow me to. So let's start there then. Let's take it a step back to absolute basics for listeners who don't know or maybe early on in their journey or perhaps a different view. To you, in your opinion, what is the purpose of a CX management strategy? And what does a successfully implemented CX management strategy look like? Let me see if I can be relatively succinct in my response. Most legacy organizations globally were created with the intention of being sales-led, product-led, possibly service-led, ultimately creating an organization with a differentiating product or service that they ultimately want to try and sell as much of, if I'm being very simplistic in my description. The problem with having a strategy that is sales-led, product-led, service-led, is that the motivation is all about focusing on selling as much of those products and services as possible. The challenge that we've faced for many years now and gets increasingly more difficult is that unless an organization's products and services are completely unique, no one else does it, differentiating products and services is extremely difficult, if not impossible. And as a result, as our industries become more saturated with competition, As we become attacked, attacked is a strong word, but we get challenged, maybe is a better word, by disruptors in most industries. We've got to look beyond the product to differentiate. And it is recognized widely that the most effective way to differentiate beyond the product or service is through the entire experience, everything that an organization does. 
And to be able to differentiate on the whole experience, you need to determine how can your organization transform itself from being product, sales, service-led to being experience-led, customer-led. And that is the ultimate challenge because changing the nature of the way an organization thinks and acts is not easy, but it's also a long-term strategy. So fundamentally, the objective is to differentiate on the whole experience. And it's how you get there that the science comes in. Okay, let's just unpack that a little bit more if we could. I'm going to be quite specific here because I've, I've heard this challenge back, if you will, in conversations I've had with colleagues and people that I speak to through the you know various routes that I have. How do you balance ROI and the other demands of the C-level or the board with the focus on differentiation via a focus on customer? Because the whole point is that the business has got to that point by being product-focused, by being sales-focused. How do you convince the C-level or the board to switch tack, which is a board level, a huge risk, and actually become a customer-focused brand, for want of a better phrase? Quite frankly, it is hard. And it is arguably the biggest perennial challenge that CX professionals face is how do I articulate the financial return in a way that will prick the ears up of leadership and shareholders? way that I will answer that firstly is to say that businesses need to be driven by strategy. In fact, you mentioned that in your very first question. But when you think about strategy, most organizations develop a business strategy. Now, a business strategy articulates what the business wants profit, revenue, gross return to shareholders, and so on. What business strategies don't often refer to is what the customer wants. Now, if there is an unbalanced strategy, as I call it, so it's all about what the business wants, not balanced with what the customer wants, then all the organization will focus on are the things important to it in making as much money as possible, achieving those strategic objectives. To be able to do that, the thinking is very short-term focused. It's very focused on numbers within, well, depending on the industry, daily, you know, if you're in retail, but very, very short-term focused. Very often, the other side of that equation, an understanding of the customer experience strategy, what the customer wants is missing. And if it's missing, and this is even with organizations that talk about customer experience, doesn't necessarily mean they've adopted a customer experience strategy. Now, the customer experience strategy should articulate what you want the experience for your customer to be, how you want them to feel every time you interact with them. And there should be customer experience-related metrics associated with that. Now, if you're not understanding of that, that means that you are failing to focus on the long-term relationship that enables you to ultimately achieve sustainable growth. Customer experience differentiation is about sustainable growth. But sustainable growth is not a short-term goal. And that's where the conflict comes in. Because to achieve sustainable growth, it could take three years, it could take 10 years. I very often depress customer experience professionals, not intentionally, but by getting them to realize that Customer-centric transformation typically takes six to eight years. You know, now, 
Business leaders don't want to hear that. <laughs> you know, I haven't got six to eight years. But the question is, can you afford not to focus on that in the long term? So just one final thing I'll say to you before I shut up is that what our profession needs to do much better is to a leadership shareholders to understand that there are actually two types of financial return for improving the customer experience. That long-term return, sustainable growth, revenue generation, that is not going to come now. It doesn't happen by clicking fingers. And I think there is a misconception with many organizations that don't really understand this, that it should be happening now. Why, why, why are we not seeing an impact on you know, revenue? What we must be much better at is articulating the other form of financial return, which comes through cost reduction and cost avoidance. By eliminating the things that are going wrong in the customer journey, you will be improving the experience and as a result, the perception of your customers, but you will have the ability to save money immediately. And I'm not talking about cost cutting. I'm talking about the elimination of unnecessary activity that makes experiences worse for customers and takes up unnecessary time for employees. That conversation is not happening enough around the world. It's too much about the long term, but we're not eliminating that waste in the short term. And that is just as an important a focus for a customer-centric organization as the long term. Does that all of that resonate? Absolutely does. I'm going to ante up on what you've just said. Let's unpack this even more. So short-term sales focus is challenging when stacked against the needs of a medium to long-term customer experience strategy. Through that lens, how can a business establish a medium or long-term CX strategy, particularly in the current climate after everything we've been through in the last few years with a view to eventual sustainable growth? To me, it has to be about adaptability and agility. It's quite interesting when organizations say to me, we need to develop our customer experience strategy. How often should we do it? You know, and I find it an interesting question because no one ever says to me, how often should we review our business strategy? That's done on at least an annual basis. So why are we not thinking about a customer experience strategy in exactly the same way? It's vitally important that we think of customer experience not as something that is an ad hoc focus that has a limited lifespan, that we integrate it into the way the organization works forever. This sounds cheesy. Last week was Global Customer Experience Day, which some people not, might not know that the first Tuesday of every October is Global Customer Experience Day. And I always tweet every year that customer experience is for life, not just for Customer Experience Day. You know, it's always there. So we should be reviewing the customer experience strategy and the business strategy every year at the same time, because customer needs and wants are changing quicker than ever before. The environment around us is changing quicker than ever before. And if we don't keep adapting to those changes, we run the risk of becoming irrelevant very quickly. And that's another danger of only focusing on what the business wants, is that you will possibly not notice that your proposition, your purpose, why you exist for your customers isn't relevant anymore. Because you're so focused on hitting the business numbers 
you're not questioning, are we actually still delivering the experience our customers want that drive that number? So it's vital that we integrate this into our thinking. And again, if you'll just allow me to stress the science again, this is why customer experience has to have a structured approach to it. The strategy is just one piece of the jigsaw puzzle. You know, it's just one competency of a number. Until or unless organizations piece all of those elements together that it requires, it won't achieve its objective of long-term sustainable focus. That's kind of a thrown me, what you've just said there, um, which wasn't prepared for. So apologies, listeners. Let me gather my thoughts for a second here. So you talked about the competencies. Let's just take that up a notch. From your bird's eye view as a global CX consultant, certified training provider, you talked about those competencies and there are a number of them. Where do you see the biggest gap? Where's the biggest puzzle piece missing that businesses most often either get wrong or don't realize from a CX point of view? So I'm in a very good position to answer this because as you said at the beginning, I work on every continent on earth, in every industry you can imagine. So I'm seeing different organizations every week. Without question, the biggest weakness globally is lack of accountability and customer experience. Uh, there is a very strong connection with culture, but it is primarily driven by a lack of governance when it comes to customer experience. Clear understanding of who is accountable for what and who is responsible for doing what is necessary. Too often there is this misapprehension that we've got a customer experience manager, it's their job. Obviously, that's not the point. You know, customer experience is the responsibility of the entire organization. And until or unless leaders recognize elements of that themselves are accountable for, this won't happen. But in addition to what I'm saying, if I sort of come back to the cultural side of it, that the cultural side of the, the equation is down to, unfortunately, the legacy of siloed working. The fact that in far too many organizations, we don't see active cross-functional collaboration. And this is medium-sized businesses to large businesses. People aren't working together. It, we, we're almost living in this legacy world where it's all about individual objectives. It's not about the collective good of the organization. Until businesses work together, which you'd think that would be obvious, they're going to find it very difficult to deliver experiences that customers want to have because collectively we're accountable for the experience. So if we're all going in different directions, it's not going to happen. There are others, but if I were to almost apply an independent score to the world's ability to adopt competency, that would be the weakest area right now. Amazing. Thank you. And really interesting that you talk about the culture and embedding that culturally. I'm going to be somewhat contentious here. I'm going to put my old-fashioned hat on thinking of the contact centers of yesteryear where sales was the focus. And it was like through that lens, and it's still prevalent today, CX as an entity is still seen as somewhat, forgive me, fluffy or nebulous. You previously worked across a multitude of industries as a Six Sigma black belt trainer. Now, my understanding of that is that that's actually a very structured, very well-defined set of principles. And so through that lens, I have to ask, to what extent did that training lay the foundations for where you are today? And do you think that there are lessons to be learned from the Six Sigma process 
when it comes to CX and taking away that false sense of nebulous entity? It's a very good question that proves that you do your research before you do these podcasts. Process improvement methodology, like Six Sigma, not just Six Sigma, Lean, that is in fact more commonly used today in the world than Six Sigma itself, some merged them together. It is all about continuous improvement. Continuous improvement for the benefit of the recipient of the output of a process. Now, if I break that down and talk to you as though I was talking to my grandma, processes represent the things that we do every day. The customer journey represents everything that our customers directly interact with as a result. But the important point about process improvement methodology is that we should be utilizing it to help us not just identify the things that we're doing that are having the greatest negative impact on the customer, but that should also help us to understand how we eliminate the root cause of that problem so that we make our lives easier doing what we do and our customers happier as a result. Um, process and journey are inextricably linked. You know, that they come together. Customer experience is about cause and effect. You cannot look at them in isolation of each other. I talk quite a lot about Japan. I've never worked in Japan, interestingly, but I've worked with Japanese companies. And many people know that Japan is probably the epitome of process management. But if you obsess with process, you go too far. Problem then is that you can't deviate from the process. And as we know, the world is not perfect. You know, you need to be able to deviate. And so arguably, the Japanese economy is going backwards right now. You know, if you think how fast it was evolving in the 80s, it's not now. And a lot of that is because they cannot deviate from strict process, which means that they are not enabling their people to think. Because if you just adhere to a process, people don't have to think, they just do what they're told. You know, and for customer experience to live and breathe, it's got to be able to account for nuances, things that go wrong, because things will always go wrong. It doesn't matter how customer-centric you are. You can't account for that with process. What you've got to have are people who are comfortable with understanding the things that they do and how they impact the journey. And when something goes wrong within a framework, they are able to think and act in the interest of the customer. So but my background in process is vital, but it cannot work now in isolation of an understanding of how processes work in tandem with the customer journey itself. Does that answer the question? It absolutely does. And as you were describing that, it was really interesting. I began kind of thinking of things in my head around existing processes that are well-defined processes. And I'm thinking of the typical sales environment. If you're in a store, it's a specialist furniture store, for example, and you're saying, look, I actually, I'm going to buy a table and chairs. I'm actually really loving this. I'm going to buy two sets of the one for you know friends or whatever the case may be. They have the flexibility to be able to sweeten that by offering you a discount that actually maybe isn't part of that process. So this isn't news. And that's what struck me. This isn't a revelation. None of this is a revelation, Sean. You know, for years I've said this is a science, but it's not rocket science. You know, I get paid to state the blindingly obvious. It's really not hard. If I were to tell you a famous UK retailer, I won't say which one, that this is 
probably 10 years ago, had its online offering and its physical offering, and they were both completely separate. You know, so the systems were separate, the warehouses were separate, the contact centers were separate. And so if you bought something online and tried to return it to a store, they wouldn't accept it. But the name above the door was the same name. (laughs) I don't care that your systems are separate. But again, if your processes are, no, just say no. People will just say no. And again, when you combine that with the culture, the underlying cultures we spoke about, people are fearful of going outside of that. And so one thing that I talk a lot about is the accidental experience. This is an expression you won't necessarily have come across before. But to a degree, as consumers, for most of our lives, we've been on the receiving end of the accidental experience. Because the accidental experience is where an employee is thinking to themselves, that's ridiculous. You know, do you know what? Give it to me. I'll take it back. I'll deal with it. All right. But it's a lottery. You know, if you, if you're lucky to get the person that's thinking that way, who is prepared to break the process, then you're okay. But that's not sustainable. You know, and, and ultimately we've got to get to a point where the experiences that we deliver are intentional. So people know that they can do it rather than taking a risk as they might perceive it. I really like that example. It illustrates perfectly what I was thinking about in my head. You touched earlier on customer journeys as part of uh, intrinsically related to existing processes. One of the things that I've heard people say is that it's overwhelming. You sit and you, you, I own a business today and I'm looking at a customer journey and it's vast and I've got all the exit routes and all the error paths. What are some of the key challenges the company faces when they attempt to do this to make a journey map? And then once they've mapped it, what do they do with that? How do you? help customers achieve a positive outcome that drives a framework. This is where you touch the nerve with me, Sean. But this is the thing that I preach about more than, in a positive way, because the thing I preach about more than anything else. The simple answer to your description is that far too many are radically overcomplicating it. Honestly, the amount of time and money that is spent creating these beautiful looking pictures that no one knows what to do with is astonishing. Journey mapping is being overcomplicated. The worst example I've ever seen is an organization that mapped 2,207 customer journey maps. Okay, amazing work ethic, but a total waste of time. The biggest issue is that journey mapping is an important competency of the profession CX has become. But the journey by itself is not the point. What I preach about is what I call customer journey management. That is the point. Customer journey management is a cycle of continuous interconnected activity, which includes knowing who your customers are so you can then visualize their journey, so you can then measure the journey to identify the small number of priorities having the greatest negative impact on customer perception and as a result, financial performance. And when you know what the priorities are, you then fix them. And then you go back around that cycle later again forever. It's interesting when we talk about stating the blindingly obvious, customer journeys are called a customer journey for a reason, because they're a customer journey. One of the reasons why people are overcomplicating this is because they're mapping journeys by channel or by product. This is not a channel journey. This is not a product journey. It's a customer journey. And if customers can interact across channels and across products, If you map them independently of each other, you'll misinterpret how the customer is interacting with you. 
Because of the overcomplication, most organizations map their journeys once and never look at them ever again. If I were to tell you that many organizations who are, have been measuring the experience for years don't know what their journey looks like, okay, that may or may not surprise some people. But if they're measuring the experience without knowing what the journey looks like, what they're measuring will not be reflected of the truth. And if I prod and poke companies hard enough, they'll tell me what they think their priorities are. They don't fix them. You know, it's only when you can adopt this continuous interconnected cycle that you reach what I call the nirvana state of customer journey management. What this means is that the journey has to become a living, breathing organism. It cannot be produced as a static object, which most people are producing it as, but it has got to be simple. It's got to be elevated to a level of simplicity that allows you to clearly identify where the issues are. Having identified the issue, if you want to go into more detail so you can determine what to do about, that's fine. But too many are treating journeys like processes and just sort of mapping them just because. Waste of time. You've got to elevate up. My tip to anyone that's struggling with this, if it feels too complicated, it is. But as you know, getting out of detail for many feels uncomfortable. Um, but you have to. And anyone that's really worried about it, reach out to me and I'll explain to you exactly what I mean by simple. But it, honestly, I cannot stress we are overcomplicating it. And goal is not mapping a journey. It is managing the journey. I'm going to come right back at you with a challenge. So I've heard everything you've said. I've understood the majority of what you've gone through. You know, I'll catch up on the rest when I get an opportunity later on, when I listen to it through once more. I'm going to throw down a bit of a challenge. Can you spend, say, the last few minutes of our conversation, say five minutes or so, talking me through a real-world example that outlines what you've gone through? Don't have to name names. The other thing that I would ask is, as part of that, and you tell me what the key metrics that were measured in order to kind of validate that. Would that be okay? Because I think that would help land this pitch, if you like. I will give you a very simple, generic example of how simple the journey map needs to be for it to become measurable and actionable. And I'll use the example of online shopping because we all shop online. Now, when I talk about visualizing the journey simply, in its simplest form, I describe what I call the level zero view of the journey. So the journey in its simplest form, and that is where we identify the key stages of the customer journey. So the key stages of the online shopping journey, thinking about this from the customer perspective, we browse. If we find what we want, we'll buy it. As long as you can rely on the courier, I won't mention any names, you might receive what you do, and you might then need to query what you've received. Don't like it, doesn't fit, damaged, whatever. Four stages of the online shopping journey. Browse, buy, receive, return. Now, fundamentally, what an organization needs to understand is how good is it for doing that? How good are we? And I always visualize that level zero as a circle, by the way, because what you want is to keep your customers in the circle. You want to think of the journey as a never-ending, continuous relationship. 
Most organizations, when they're thinking about how good they are at doing what they do, they're not thinking about that journey. They're thinking about what they do. So they know how good they are at designing products, sourcing them from various locations, designing websites. That's not the customer journey. That's what they do. Okay, What we need to understand is that journey. But once you visualize the journey, you then need to measure it. And whilst that level zero perspective is intended to get you out of the detail, it's too simple to measure. To measure it, you need to take the journey to what I call the level one view. And in the level one view, within each stage, so in this retail example, there were four stages. Within each stage, you need to identify the touch points that sit in each stage of the journey. A touch point representing anything that the customer directly interacts with, anything that they see, feel, hear, or touch. Telephone call, website, application form, whatever it might be. It is once you've got to that level one view that you then need to start measuring. If you go below level one, level two, level three, level, you're going into too much detail. What do you need to measure? This is, I could spend an entire day talking to you about this alone, but what organizations should be doing is capturing, listening to, and acting on three voices of measurement. VOC, as most people will be aware, is voice of the customer. VOE is voice of the employee. And VOP is voice of the process. Most organizations on earth are measuring some form of VOC. Just because they're measuring it does not mean they're measuring it well. Far fewer are measuring VOE, and hardly any are measuring VOP. Now, I'm not going to talk about VOE for the purposes of time, but I mentioned earlier that customer experience is about understanding the relationship between cause and effect, what you do, and the way your customer feels about what you do. If you can have a measurable understanding of that relationship, then you will be in the perfect position to predict how your customers are going to feel. So from a VOC perspective, what we should be measuring is customer perception of the end-to-end journey. Now, what you use to measure that is up to you. There is no rule book. Many believe that they have to measure NPS. They have. You don't have to measure anything that you don't want to. What you need to understand is a reflection of the truth in the customer's eyes of your end-to-end journey. But the benefit of what I'm calling voice of the process is that what you then need to determine is how good are you at doing the things that you do that deliver the touch points in the journey. Customer-facing operational processes, length of time to answer the phone, number of complaints, accuracy of a a statement, and so on. The reason why this is important is because what you do is determining how your customer feels. And if you can measure those two things in alignment with each other, if you can improve the performance of customer-facing processes, you will see a correlating effect in the um, impact of customer perception. As I said, I'm throwing this at you in a very short space of time, but This is where the real science of customer experience comes in. And what I'm describing to you, honestly, having done this for almost 30 years now, still to this day, far too few organizations are creating 
that measurable relationship between cause and effect. Kind of don't even know how to begin to respond to that. My mind has been, it absolutely blew my mind. The way that you framed that has been absolutely incredible. I could quite easily continue this conversation on. Unfortunately, time has got the best of us. I will just add on. I know that you run a CX masterclass. And is this the sort of insights that it offers? Like who's it intended for? Is this the sort of subject matter? Is it driven by their needs? Or is it more about sharing this methodology? Thank you for asking the question, Sean. The two-day masterclass that I've been delivering for 12 years now is based on a, an educational framework, as I call it. And the educational framework has three parts to it, strategy, measurement, and people. And the masterclass is all about walking people through the practical application of that educational framework. So again, in two days, I've still only got limited time, but it will give people enough information to validate what they already know, to identify a lot of opportunities for what they could be doing. But it's also my objective to make the fire that's already burning inside of them burn even more brightly. So that's sort of what it's designed to do. But measurement is so important, but so badly done right now. There, there are other things that I am going to be doing later this year to give people even more of an opportunity to understand how to operationalize something like voice of the process. It's the most technical of everything that I talk about in this subject. Yeah, I'll close us off by saying I'd never heard it framed in terms of voice of the process before. Voice of the employee, voice of the customer, you know, voice of the business. I've heard those phrases, but voice of process was a new one for me. And it kind of opened and turned on quite a few different lights in my brain. So I could continue talking about this longer. I'm so sorry that we've run out of time. I would really love to continue this conversation at some point in the future with you, Ian. Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure, Sean. Ah, everyone, thank you so much for joining me today to speak to Ian Golding. Absolute powerhouse of customer experience insights there. Thank you ever so much. And we will catch you next time on Talk Time with Max Contact. Talk Time is brought to you by Max Contact. To find out more about Max Contact and how our customer engagement software can help you and your teams provide smarter customer experiences, visit maxcontact.com and book your personalized demo today. Be sure to search Talk Time with Max Contact in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and leave us a positive rating to help other like-minded individuals join the conversation. Finally, before you go, never miss a future episode by clicking the subscribe button and turning on notifications. On behalf of the team here at Max Contact, thanks for listening.